Mondays, 10 Talk. Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. guy that wrote uh, Try for Pink. You could love a bad name. Living on a prayer. Living la vida loca. Pontoon. Faithfully. Like I'm gonna lose you. Grenade. Party in the USA. Nobody wants to be lonely. Stay. Mama's broken heart. The climb. A little less conversation. Live like you were dying. Got a little faith in me. Change the world. A thousand years because of you. The river. A whiskey lullaby. What hurts the most? I'm the guy that wrote Jesus Take the Wheel. Well, I should say it this way. I'm one of the three people that wrote Jesus Take the Wheel. <laughs> Some of the first songs I wrote, I, I, I wrote with them in mind. You know, I thought to myself, boy, if I can't do that, I'm going to get a song to him, if nothing else. As the snow flies On a cold and gray Chicago morning A poor little baby child is born in the ghetto It was a title my father had given me. I was calling him about money again. He said, no, you, you're not coming home, John. Don't lose that idea, don't stop believing. I mean it, don't stop believing. And I scribble in this thing and there it is. I'm sitting right there when a guy named Tony Arata's on stage one night. And then here comes a song called The Dance. Looking back on this is a songwriting town. I can promise you there's a hundred songs being written right now in this town, this very second. And it makes Nashville a very unique place. Elvis has left so much energy here. Ray Charles, Etta James, Johnny Cash. You know, these people have left so much energy in the city and it's, it's, it's still here. Songwriting for me has to be truth because the audience can tell when you're lying. Life is short, but this time it was bigger than the strength he had to get up off his knees. Your first instinct when you hear something like Whiskey Lullaby is not what a commercial masterpiece. It's more like what an artistic masterpiece. Hi there, this is Tommy Rowe. You can hear all of my hits on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's Jam Up and Jelly Tight.
Okay, listeners, welcome here to the Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And I'm your show host, Robert. Right on your computers at Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater on this fine, 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 fine Halloween evening. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioAndCars.com. Good evening there, uh, Mr. Matthew. Good evening to yourself, Mr. Robert, and happy Halloween to you and yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah happy. Uh, I'm trying to... Yeah, your shirt is that uh, what's his name Michael Myers yes it is <laughs> it's, a, it's a Michael Myers sweatshirt so I'll tell you what when, what? We, hit, when we hit the Wayback Machine and we start playing spinning tunes tonight I'll walk in so that way anybody watching on Facebook Live and YouTube can see the shirt okie dokie okie dokie <laughs> anyway hey we got a great show for you tonight we are continuing with Rocktober this is the end of the month and uh, so we've got a very 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 special guest that's one of the reasons why we played that little thing on Nashville now of course last week we had um Juan uh, Quintero on, and of course, we did a little Latin jazz thing. Uh, week before that, we had Tommy Rowe on. Before that, we had uh, uh, my friend, um, uh, geez, my brain went dead, uh, 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 guitar broker out of uh, Craig from uh, South Florida, who's really into vintage guitars and electric guitars and in the industry. So we've had a pretty, pretty interesting guest, a uh, slew of guests on the show, and we're going to continue that tonight. We have another headliner. A uh, very well-known performer. Um, had some great hits from the 70s. Well, I shouldn't say the 70s so much, but 80s, 90s, 2000s, all the way up to current to her latest album. Now, uh, what we t- what went on this weekend, this weekend, real quick, we'll give you a little update. Uh, we had the British Car Show in Safety Harbor. I believe I mentioned that last week. And uh, it was a great show. Uh, I ran into a lot of friends of mine. A shout-out to my friend Mark Peterson, who I have not seen since the 70s. And uh, so, Mark, if you're listening, uh, it's good to see you. He's got a really cool, cool TVR. He's had that car since the 70s. He doesn't have his car from high school like I do. But... He rode in my car back when we had it in high school, so that's kind of cool. And he brought up some stories from back in the day, so that was kind of interesting. So it's really cool to kind of yeah. That's why I said car shows are pretty cool. You just never know who you're going to run into, and it's kind of a it's a camaraderie thing, it's a family thing, and it's a reunion. This weekend, right now, as we speak, as I'm sitting here in our studio in downtown Clearwater, we have uh, SEMA is taking place. So a shout out to Mike because Mike uh, Messina, a good friend of ours, he's out there. I did not go. I've been there so many times. I mean, it's like, and and I had a scheduling conflict, but nonetheless, um, I will probably go next year because it's been a while. And uh, this weekend in uh, Sarasota at San Armand's Key is the uh, All Ferrari Show, San Armand Circle. I think that's what it's called. And Ferraris in a circle. They always have cars. Their cars on the circle. So it's either Porsches on the circle, uh, Ferraris on the circle, Corvettes on the circle. Uh, Ford's on the circle, or something's on the circle. Um, so that's down there in St. Armand's. Pretty cool. And then I think next weekend there's uh, a really big all-Ford car show in Newport. Uh, one of the Ford dealerships over in Pasco County. I'll have to get you more details on that. But anyway, on that note, I think what we're going to do, because this, uh, this very special guest for the evening is probably waiting. So we're going to play one of her, yes, a lady, one of her popular songs, I believe this song was 1993, and the title of this song is is Rock Me. Now, not to be confused 
It's Rock Me, right? Am I? I got yes. It? No, we, we got Rock Me loaded up. Okay, so it's not to be confused with Gray White's version of Rock Me, which is a rock and roll Rock Me song, which is more of a headbanger song. This is a little bit more. This has a country flavor to it. All right. So let's fire up the stereo, and then we'll get our very special guest on. And uh, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch the dial. And I hope you enjoy the show this evening. Thank you. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. So, turn your radio on. <laughs> okay, we're back. Yeah, we lit, we, lit, we lit the tires on that one. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans, car guys, musicians, and uh, ladies and gents, again. Um, it's time to introduce our very special guest for the evening. This lady is a multi-award-winning singer-songwriter, seven-time BMI. Now, in case you don't know what BMI is, that's the Broadcast Music Institute, or Inc., and they basically keep track of the amount of airplay 
that uh, songs have. Now, if you think about this for a second, if your song gets played a million times, that's equivalent to 50,000 broadcast hours. That's a lot, okay? And that's a pretty distinguished uh, uh, group of people to be uh, involved with, and this lady has achieved that, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my friend, my new friend, Deborah Allen. How are you? I'm great, Robert. It's so good to hear from you. So, um, for our listeners that have just tuned in and are somewhat familiar with you or may not be familiar with us, give us a little background on yourself. Okay, well, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, I had a very eclectic uh, mix of music that influenced me all throughout my life. I loved everything from R&B, soul music, to rock, to country, obviously, um, my daddy used to like to watch the Saturday afternoon country shows, and uh, he had an upholstery shop where uh, there were a lot of guys that worked in the cleanup shop. They they got a lot of cars ready to sell, and uh, they always had the radio turned up in the car. And it was always on WDIA in Memphis, so I got a big dose of soul there. And, of course, uh, later on, when I turned 16, I got in my lime green barracuda, and darted across town because I wanted to audition for uh, George Klein's dance party, and I got that. And, and George was an amazing guy. He was actually Elvis's best friend, and he went to high school with him at Hume's High School. But this this TV show that he did every Saturday, he was really uh, breaking some you know new ground because he would have country artists, pop artists, R and B artists. You know, a black artist, white artist, and back then, that was a big deal, you know. So I loved this joke, and um, I auditioned to be at WHB Beauty and got the job. So you were a beauty queen, also. Well, I guess that some people would say that. I mean, I never, that was never the most important thing to me. It was like, I love the music. All I wanted to do was sing. Um so that was what was the most important thing to me. When did you start playing guitar? Well, let me see. I, I, I noodled around with it a little bit when I was growing up, but I really never got a hold of it and started doing that until um, I moved out to, L, out to L.A. I was on a TV show out there uh, as on the Jim Stafford replacement show, the summer replacement show, and I kind of bared down on it then and um, I'd already met a guy named, back in Nashville, I'd met a guy named Shel Silverstein. And Shel wrote on the cover of Rolling Stone and Sylvia's mother and a boy named Sue. And uh, I invited him to come out and hear me sing one night at um, the Hall of Fame. And he was, it was like a, like a little lounge that was attached to a hotel. And I said, well, what do you think? And he goes, well, I think he got a great voice. And I got all puffed up, like, oh, boy, I'm getting ready to be discovered. <laughs> and then, uh, then he said, but, you know, there's a lot of great singers here in Nashville. And then I kind of got deflated. But then he, he talked to me about writing songs. And um, I said, well, I've never written a song. I've written poems. He goes, I think you ought to think about writing songs. Because you can write your own style. Because a song is something that you can keep with you forever. No one can take that away from you. And he said, besides, sun doesn't shine on the same dog's back every day. 
And that made sense to me. But it was the, the first few songs, I told him, I said, well, I'm going to write a couple of songs if you think I've got what it takes. So I wrote a couple of acapella songs. And I sang them to him. And he goes, I think you got away with words. Huh. And so then my next thing that I wanted to do was to learn to play. I mean, I, I took piano when I was growing up. My, my mother was sure that we all had piano lessons. But I started, since I was in Nashville, I started fooling around with the guitar, too. And I just wanted to be able to musically write songs that lived up to my ability on vocals. So, you know, it's been a process. But over the years, you know, it's really fallen into place. And I'll always thank Carol Silverstein for that. And I'll thank George Klein who, you know, got me on his show for uh, encouraging me to move to Nashville. There's so many little pieces, you know, that happen in people's lives. You never know how they're all going to fit together, but suddenly that puzzle all makes a great big beautiful picture. When you, uh, when you talk about writing songs, and so let's just say for our listeners, do you really need a musical background to write a song, or can you just start out writing lyrics? Um, you know, when you talked about noodling with a guitar, you know, I, I play a little guitar, so and when I'm kind of just sitting around, I have a I have a, just a regular acoustic guitar that I play with, which I find that most people that write songs actually play on an acoustic. And then those of us that also play electric, which I play a little electric, it's it's completely different, but you always usually you're you're playing basically open chords, and you're just kind of you know you you get a rhythm going, and then then there's a a storyline that sticks in your head or a thought or a theme. Is that pretty much how it kind of worked for you as well? Yeah, I mean to me the best songs. You know, I grew I grew up when I when I was 18, I moved to Nashville, and I fell into nothing but a big uh, pack of legends like Waylon Jennings and. John Hartford and Shel Silverstein and, uh, you know, Kyle Lenny, who was, turned out to be a big, um, he was a huge uh, engineer, wound up working with Randy Travis, and just tons of people here in Nashville that I constantly learn from every day. You know, it was like I, I was going to school and didn't even know it. But, yeah, you know what I always say, you know, it's like you, you do what rings the bell with your heart. You know, if you like it, and if you're being honest about it, chances are someone's going to love it because we all have basically the same feelings, but each one of us express it in a different way. And, I, you know, I love all kinds of music, like I told you, and I feel like every style of music really has its own language. So to me, that's part of the uh, fun part of writing songs is, you know, seeing how the music inspires me. And sometimes I've just written songs you know, lyrics first, sometimes, but usually I'll have a title, but like Rock Me, which I think you just played, mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what I was going to write. I had that groove, and I just started playing it, and um, my friend walked in the room that I was, you know, wrote a lot of songs with, and I said, hey, this is cool, isn't it? He said, yeah, it is. And I said, here, take it, play what I just played. And he did, and as soon as he did, I burst out and sang, you know, Mama, I'm really hoarse today. You probably tell it, but, but I, I don't care. I wasn't going to miss this time with you at all. But um, you know, that's how it is. And so that was a kind of a stream of consciousness song that actually I'm so glad I I didn't shy away from just because we didn't have a title yet. 
because it turned out to be a great song. Like, so my my biggest song, which was a, a big hit in every category, it was a hit in the pop chart, the country chart, the adult contemporary chart. That was in 1983 through 84. They called it the record that wouldn't go away. And uh, I love that song. I love that it it was the record that wouldn't go away because it really opened so many doors for me. But we just celebrated the 40th year anniversary for that. And rock me, believe it or not, this is its 30th year anniversary. So for Baby, I Lied, which was your first big hit, 40-year anniversary, and Rock Me, which was basically 10 years later, 30-year anniversary. That's amazing. In fact, Baby, I Lied, you were actually featured on um, Dick Clark's uh, TV show, weren't you? Yeah, I love Dick Clark. Oh, my gosh. He, he's so wonderful. He loved music. He he loved artists, you know, just like uh, George and um he, he had me on several times. Oh, really? I was on there. Yeah. I sang uh, Baby I Lied. And then I did another song of mine called Heartache and a Half, which was uh, the first on um, the first totally digital record ever to be released from Nashville. That record was called Let Me Be the First. And then, um, of course, he had to have me on when I did the song that Prince uh, so generously wrote and produced on me. So Dick Clark and I were really good friends. He would even throw big parties out of his house out in Malibu. He and Carrie, his wonderful wife. And it was just, you know, he gave artists a chance to hang out and get to know each other and give people a chance to, you know, tap into possibly some great collaboration. To this day, so your experience with Dick Clark, and, and I, I've heard those stories where he was really generous about that, and he had these gatherings, okay? Who who else comes to mind that would kind of emulate uh, what Dick Clark has done? I mean, when you think about, you know, American Bandstand, which I've been watching since I was a kid, um, you know, and all throughout the 80s, and then, you know, I mean, Dick Clark was was a very unique person. He was. He was a one-time a lot of people have uh, been inspired by him, like I told you, George Klein mm-hmm. was, but also the Soul Train, oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That was like a great black version of that uh, concept. Uh-huh. I don't, you know, so I look forward to those, both of those shows. You find me dancing in my den all you know, all day long to that shows. <laughs> well, now, that song that you did with Prince, okay, there's an interesting story there, how you met Prince and how the song Telepathy, that's the name of that song, and it's a really, it's a very sultry video, by the way, I might add, and uh, it's, but but it's very well done. So tell us a little bit how your connection, how your, your, your um, relationship, basically, if you will, you know, music relationship with uh with um, uh, Prince began and how the song came about. Well, I was coming to the national office here in uh, with RCA. Actually, I was first signed to um, Capitol, and they didn't know what to do with Baby I Lied. They loved it, but they they wanted to do something with it, but not with me. So I said, "Ooh, I think this is special. I want it." So I took it over and played it for Tony Brown. He played it for Joe Galante, and. Um, you know, they got so excited. And that was right around the time of the 
country crossover, you know, Juice Newton and such great artists. Uh, hitting a lot of the different musical genres with their music, which I loved because you just had a, a larger audience and it was phenomenal. But at one point, I don't know how it happened. I felt, I sort of felt like I was traded like a baseball card. I went up to New York. I was going to do a photo shoot up there with, with People Magazine. And there was a guy named John Ford. He was the president of RCA. And he was also good friends with my good friend, Mike Curb. We had just written a song together. Now, Mike Curb, Mike Curb wrote the Rockford Files theme song. He's written so many Hollywood theme songs. He's phenomenal. But he had bragged on me to John. And so John asked me to dinner. And I said, sure, I'd love to go. And so while we were at dinner, he said, how would you like for your new album, which would have been the... Um, let me be the first album. How would you like for that album to be on the pop roster? And I said, well, I said, Joe and I picked out every one of those songs together. I mean, we love each one of them. And our goal was to continue to do the crossover thing. I said, I think he would really be excited about it. I said, but I got to go back and talk to Joe first because I'm not doing anything without speaking with him first. And he said, Oh, don't worry about it. It's all been taken care of. I went, oh my gosh, what just happened? Uh-huh. So I sort of, felt like, I sort of felt like I'd been trained, literally, like a baseball card. But once that happened, you know, hey, I had two choices: to jump in with both feet, or to, you know, get scared and walk away. And that's just not me. So I wound up going to L.A. and talking to some L.A. managers and. Um, I was recording a brand new album with my good friend Greg Matheson at Sunset Sound. And while we were there, Prince was in one of the other studios. Sunset Sound is like a compound, and it's built, believe it or not, around the basketball court. So uh, one time in the middle of my session, I I wanted to go to the bathroom. So I walked across the... the, um, basketball court I was really thinking about my music and I was walking out oh boy I was into my music and I was walking out I was zipping up my jeans walking out of there and I saw a basketball go rolling by and I bent down and I thought I was going to turn around and see a friend of mine but instead it was Fred and I went oh my gosh Uh I said I thought you were going to be somebody else here here's your ball so that was the quick introduction we had and then what happened was we had an executive turnover. So there I was out in L.A., and uh, my my new record label head, which was Paul Atkinson, which he was super cool, I thought, because he used to be the lead guitar player for the Zombies. And I loved Paul. But then he got, he and another guy, who's also super cool, named John Grierson, they switch places. Anyway, it was just, it was just crazy. No, no, some other, I'm thinking of my RCA record deal uh, earlier. No, this was the second time we had the executive changeover. I don't even remember who the new executives were. <laughs> but they came over, they came over to listen to my new album. And um, I, was, I was like, man, I, I can't sit here and 
listen to this whole album and be judged like this. I'm going to go get some coffee. So when I did, I walked out across the basketball court and got some coffee in the kitchen. And I came back and there was Fred. He was beautiful. He was dressed from head to toe in silk. He was dressed in a pink silk shirt with pink silk bell bottoms. It was with gold pinstripes and pink silk gold pinstripes platforms. And his eyelashes were the longest I'd ever seen. Longer than Vince Gill. Um, <laughs> I was standing there beside him with my coffee bucket. And I was pretty decked out that night, too. I made sure of it. Because I was being judged, you know how that goes. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was shooting some hoops, and I was like, oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. And then I go, oh, shoot. And then he kind of dribbled the ball back on me. And I, I said, I like your I like your outfit. He goes, likewise. <laughs> and that's, well, I better go. So I go back into the studio, and I go back in with those people, whoever they were. And... um they said, well, we like your album. We think we can run with it. But, uh, you know, we need to do maybe one or two more songs. I said, okay. So I fly back to Nashville, and I'm, a, I'm in my kitchen, in this little booth in the kitchen. And I was in there. And to be honest with you, Robert, I just prayed. I said, God, please. You know, I was thinking to myself, I'm out here on the limb. I live in Nashville. I've got an L.A. record deal, you know, and these people, they barely know me. Lord, please point me in the right direction. Help me. And all of a sudden, it just came to my mind. Hey, you met the genius of our time. You met Rick. So I just picked up a piece of paper, and I wrote him a letter. I said, dear Prince, my name is Deborah Allen. I uh, met you briefly at Sunset Sound. And I said, we just had an executive turnover, and they want me to record um, a couple more songs. And I was thinking it would be nearly wonderful if we might work together in some capacity. Here's a cassette, um, which tells you how long ago it was. Here's a cassette (laughs) of my project. I hope to hear from you soon. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay, so... I sent it to this guy named Coke Johnson. That was his engineer. And Coke called me up like about three days later. And he said, wow, Deborah, I got this this song that sent you. Where should I send it? Prince has written this song for you. And I said, oh, come on now, Coke. You know, really, did Prince write this for me? Or is this a song he had laying around? He said, oh, no. He wrote it for you. I saw him writing it in the studio and I said well, go ahead oh I was just gonna I didn't know if you might want to say hey, it, wait a minute hey, well I'll tell you what go ahead um, Matt Matt can you cue up telepathy for us real quick and while we're talking you know, the, go ahead I'm sorry I'm gonna take a little sip of water cause <laughs> I'm getting a little warm oh okay no worries no worries you're fine um Matt's going to go ahead and find that, and then we're going to cue that up in a second. But in the meantime, you can you know take a drink of water, take a break for a second if you will, and then. Uh... Took, a, took a little drink of water. <laughs> a little bit of a serious cold, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from talking to you tonight. But hey, look. So um, 
Prince was so sweet. I mean, I have so many amazing memories with him. He and he invited me to Sheila's birthday party when I was back in out back out in L.A. and just so many magical memories with Prince. And you know, he was so mysterious. And I'm sure a lot of people wonder what he was like, but from my experience, he truly was a genius, and he truly was. We have that song cured. We have that song cured up. Let's just play a few uh, a few bars. Let's okay. Do it. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So here's uh, telepathy, written by Prince for Deborah Allen, and this song came out what about eighty seven, eighty eighty nine, somewhere around in there. I believe it was eighty seven. Eighty seven. Okay. You tune into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Watch uh, or tune in and listen to this wonderful song. song and very very 80s and very very prince but your voice is absolutely perfect for that song and it sounds great deborah thank you so much i was so honored that he did that for me it was amazing and can you believe it when i presented it to when i presented um i sent him prince's version and i said hey guess what prince has written a song for me and wants to produce it on me they were like we can't do that and i said but why not and they said, well, he's just going to be way too expensive. I said, wait a minute. I said, Prince just had made like $60 million off of, or however much he made off of uh, Purple Rain. I said, I don't think he's doing it for the money. He's doing it because, you know, we kind of hit it off and made a connection. And he wants to, he's just very generous. He wants to help out. And he, you know what, from what I remember, he only charged like, ten thousand dollars to do all that work that's amazing that was amazing to have an icon like that do that and that was phenomenal then he called me up one day and he said he said who's going to do the dance mix and i said well brent i said i think they think that is the dance mix it's so long he said oh no 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 i i want to do the dance mix and i said okay and you know what else is cool hang on let me grab a slug of water here. <laughs> uh, okay. Go ahead. No, I'm, I want to tell you this. So, what's so cool? Those two pop-outs that I did, 
they got kind of like put on ice for years. You know, and it used to be like if you wanted, even when I left the label, you could buy copies as an artist to sell, but they the amount that you had to buy was so large, it was almost impossible, you know, to do that. So, But I really thought, you know, they would be out there on the Internet, but just recently I had so many fans just out of the blue going, we can't find your telepathy album. We can't find your Let Me Be the First album. And I would say, oh, no, 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 they're out there. They go, no, they're not. So I started looking for it, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I called this friend of mine that does my website. His name's Dustin Soper. And I said, Dustin, when was that a long time ago that you told me I should contact about getting digital releases on this? And he kind of pointed me in the right direction and also did some research on each song so that they'd be easy for them to identify. And I wound up working with an incredible guy named Timothy Smith uh, in the legacy division of RCA. He flipped out over these two albums. One, because Let Me Be the First is truly the first totally digital record ever to be released out of Nashville. And then, because of my relationship and association with Prince and the song, so it's been so great. I've been getting a huge resurgence on some of that, and they even dug up some of my other stuff, like the thing I did, I was like post on the Tommy Lee Jones uh, soundtrack for the movie River Rat, and, uh, and also Rock and Little Christmas. They actually did some amazing new remastering. It's hotter than ever. It sounds great, and I, you know, I just feel like. I don't know what it is, but right now, at this period of my life, I feel so blessed. It's like, all of a sudden, a lot of doors that I tried so hard to open in the past are just opening, because, I don't know, it's just, I thank God for that, because, you know, when you work and spend your whole life writing songs, making music, the greatest reward is to be able to know that people are actually hearing your music and responding to it. Oh, that's an amazing thing. I can only imagine. Let me ask you this. So you've had something since 1976, at least that's what it says when I was reading up on it, since 1976 to today, and you most recently, you have 16 albums, or 12 albums out. 12 albums out, I believe? Is that what it is? Uh, it's, it's quite a few. I don't really read that very often, but it, it's somewhere between 12 or 16. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. And then your your latest album is... Is it, uh, it's all or nothing at all, correct? Well, actually, the album is called um, The Art of Dreaming. Oh, The Art of Dreaming, okay. Yeah, and I love that song. It's sort of my philosophy on life. It's like the art of dreaming is believing. And uh, I I, kind of got, I was going through a little frustrated period, and I went, man, I got so many songs no one's heard. I'm just going to put these out on EP and call it the best you've never heard. By Deborah Allen. Well, after I did the very first release, this old friend of mine that I worked with on Giant Records, uh, which is what Rodney was on, I said, he calls up and he goes, hey, I saw this uh, EP. He goes, why don't you let us help you with this? Um, you know, working at this label. And I went, well, hey, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> so we put the new album out. And actually, we're getting ready to do some more recording together as soon as I get over this cold. But I love the art of dreaming is believing, but uh, we've had 
three singles off of that one. One's called Blue Collar Baby. One's called Patsy Klein Crazy, which is not the song Crazy. You'll have to listen to it. It's like a, it's like a puzzle, a great song title. And then one of my favorites is because it has a, a it features a 1959 Cadillac, and I love cars, and the song is called All or Nothing at All. That's it. That's it. That's it. In fact, while you're talking about cars, there's a video, and I think it's If You're Gonna Love Me, that song. You're driving a blue 72, 73 Barracuda in that, mo- in that video. Yeah, I love that blue Barracuda. It's a, that song is called If You're Not Gonna Love Me, and we have a great video on that. And that was in the mid But when I was growing up, when I turned 16, I loved Barracudas. And since my daddy was an automobile poster, I saw all the latest cars, and I fell in love with the Barracuda. He got me a lovely green Barracuda, white vinyl top, five speakers, and a cassette player in it, and then I had so much fun in it. That's really cool. Now, wait a minute. There's more to the story now, so we want to go into this for a second. So your dad had this upholstery company, and he dealt with a lot of dealers, but he also has the distinction of upholstering Elvis Presley's tour bus, correct? Yeah. My mother and daddy designed and upholstered Elvis's first tour bus. And I have to brag on my mother, too. She is quite the designer. But George Klein, bringing up his name again, uh-huh. he told he told Elvis, he said, See, I'm telling you, you need to get this bus down to Leon Thurman's automobile upholstery shop. They do great work. So the Memphis Mafia brought the bus down to the shop. Uh-huh. Well, they kept hanging around all day long. And my daddy, he was kind of a, not a real big guy, but he walked over to him kind of spouting off. He said, hey, man, y'all going to have to get out of here. I can't get any work done. Y'all cause nothing but a commotion. If y'all don't get out of here, I'm going to have to take this bus home. So they never did get out, so he brought it home. And that's when my sister Judy and I decided we'd camp out in his bus. <laughs> so we ate all his ice cube, and we actually took a few of his matchboxes. And let me tell you, my mother, she had that thing all decked out in royal blue, trimmed in gold. And back in the back lounge, you know, the back star suite on the on the uh, bed, there was this, she made a great big round gold medallion, and inside of it, in script with gold rope, she wrote E.P. Wow. Wow. Now, is that bus on? Is that bus still around? Is that on display at uh, at Graceland? You know what? I think that one's so old, I don't think they do that one. And I wish they did, but I don't think so. I don't think they do. But I know one thing. When they drove to Nashville the first time, the, the story was that um, they were so used to the real wide streets in Nashville and way back then the streets up in Nashville were curvy and narrow uh-huh. and they knocked, they were going around some curves and they knocked off the rear view mirrors the first thing they did <laughs> wow what a great story what a great connection yeah, it, yeah and Elvis actually called my mother and just said I just want to tell you this is beautiful it looks fan- fantastic and you know we used to see Elvis all the time in Memphis. About twice a week, we would drive by Graceland. Uh-huh. Because that's, we'd go by there on, our, on the way out to our cousin's house. 
And we'd see Elvis up there riding horses with his friends or go-karts. And then sometimes we'd be out in um, McKellar Lake water skiing. And one time we saw him out there with Ann Margaret. He was, he was in our midst all the time. But um, when I was, when I was, when I heard about Elvis passing away, that's when I was hanging out at Waylon Jennings' office and hanging out with Shel Silverstein and John Hartford and, you know, all of those people. And I heard about Elvis dying. And, man, I was so, was devastated. And then shortly after that, they started talking about they were going to open his home up or, you know, make it a museum and let people walk through it. And I remember thinking to myself, that's just not right. That's just not right. That is sacred ground. They shouldn't let people walk through his house, go traipsing through Elvis's house. You know, I just loved him so much. I don't know. I guess I had this protective feeling towards him. But years, years later, I lived here in Nashville, and this big um, corporate corporation rented the entire estate of Graceland, and I was going to go perform at it. It was during Christmas. So afterward, they served us this big dinner. They said, anyone who would like to tour the mansion can hop on the bus and go up, pick up the headphones and get a self-guided tour. And I thought to myself, well, I guess it's been long enough. I, I guess I guess I can walk through Elvis's house now. So we were driving up towards the house in, the, in Memphis in the Christmas season. It's gorgeous. And as we were driving up the driveway, they were playing Elvis, singing Blue Christmas. So I get out and I walk up the stairway. And I'm not kidding you, Robert. When I stepped my toe in that front door, I felt his spirit just envelop me. Like, it's just like a, a, it just wrapped around me. And I didn't get a self-guided tour with those little headphones. I got a personal tour by Elvis everywhere I went. I could see, like I looked to the right where the piano was, I could see his whole life unfolding, all those parties and things he did. And then I looked in the living room and I could see him celebrating of Christmas and, and walk through the kitchen and seeing his lady that made all his sandwiches and stuff for him and then down in the jungle room and in his awards room and then outside, you know, to his graveside. I was just so... I can't explain it, but anyone who's ever been there, I think will understand. But I just was overwhelmed with it. So after my show, Raymond said, you want to drive on back to Nashville? I said, yeah, let's head on back home. So we were driving back home, and I was like, telling Raymond how amazing that feeling was. I said, Raymond, I'm not kidding you. I said, it was amazing. I could feel his spirit walking with me. And I just kept saying it was so amazing. And then all of a sudden, I said to myself, oh, my gosh. Amazing Graceland. Raymond, let's get home. I got to write this song. And as I hit my hand on that back door, I opened it up, went straight to my grand piano, and stayed up for daylight and wrote this song called Amazing Graceland. Hey, Matt, can you uh, 
I think we got that song queued up, too. We'll play a few uh, bars of that. Um, and then what I want to get to, because we're getting close to the end here, I want you to talk about some of these Lifetime Achievement Awards and some of these other awards that you've, of, uh, you, you've received over the years. And then, um, and, and then you know, some of the other little, the, the interesting little side stories here. Matt, you got that all set up, ready to go? Okay, well, he's doing it. Here we go. This is uh, Amazing Graceland, and this song's dedicated to Elvis Presley by Deborah Allen. Where time stands still As still as the thick delta air A heavenly mansion high on a hill Peaceful and soft as a prayer Whispers of yesterday's laughter and joy The pride of a young southern boy That's a beautiful song. That is just that's one of those songs you can just kind of close your eyes and you can just you can in, just envision it. Great. Thank Lynn. you. Got a video on it too, and then there's another video where uh, Deborah Allen and uh, the Elvis, you know, when they all come the Elvis week, and actually Amazing Graceland was debuted on the Elvis Hour on Sirius XM, and you know George Paul said. He was still with us. He was getting older then. He said, you know, we never do this. We always play Elvis songs here on the Elvis Hour. He goes, but I got someone here. He used to be a WHB cutie. He's written a song you've got to hear. And he played Amazing Graceland. And at the end of it, with all those people, they do shrines out there in the middle of the street with candles and everything. And at the very end of it, Elvis came in to get Amazing Grace. Oh my gosh, I started crying. It was so sweet, so very touching. That's that's incredible. Tell us about some of the awards that you've received over the years, because I know you've received, let's say, the Music City Summit Award. I'm not real familiar with that. Um, oh, the, that go oh, ahead. That was a really that was a really neat one. Um, I love that one because actually, I've always been pretty hands on, and at one point I had this thing on my list. It was called like things to do. Uh-huh. There was never a list. 40 things on there, and one of them was to buy a 16-millimeter Aeroflex film camera. And I remember after about two years, that was still on my list, and I stomped my foot on that floor, and I went, am I just kidding myself, or am I really buying a film camera? So I got on that phone, and I called some advertising agencies, and lo and behold, the first one I called, they said, this is weird. We've got a 16-millimeter film camera that we are wanting to sell. It's got all the accessories and everything. And I said, well, how much is it? They said, $30,000. I went, ooh. <laughs> and then I got this bright idea. I said, okay, I'll take it. And then I called up my friend. His name is Lou Sinatra. I said, Lou. I said, look. I said, I just bought a film camera. What do you shoot your commercials in? Because he does a lot of commercials. He goes, oh, we don't shoot in film. 
He goes, we shoot in video. We can't afford them. I said, what if I told you you could? I said, you could be my broker, and you could rent this out, and you could make money, and you could offer your clients a much better quality, and you could help me pay for this camera. So it was great for us for a long time. I mean, and I hated to take it off the market, but I really needed to start using it. He was like, please don't take it <laughs> off the market. I'm getting ready to get married. I want to make I said, Lou, you just bought me a $30,000 camera just making 10%. I said, man, you could pay it. You could pay a brand new camera off in just no time. So finally, years later, we saw each other, and he said, boy, I'm sure glad you did. But anyway, so that's how I got the Music City Summit Award was um, that rock me video, which we spray-painted in Memphis out in front of my parents' house. We spray-painted that rocking chair from Cracker Barrel. We painted it hot pink. <laughs> and we just were flying by the seat of our pants, having a great time. And I, I had so much time of fun in the editing suite because it wasn't like today in the digital editing. You know, you can change textures and change colors with the touch of a button. I mean, I had to go in there and ask the engineer to play around with stuff and that that wound up costing but it didn't cost that much to do that video compared to the regular ones and if you want to know the truth my telepathy video was shot on the super 8 camera wow and every- Deborah, we are we are up against the clock so what i want to do real quick is uh so if people want to find out more about you how do they go about doing that i want y'all to go to deborah allen E-E-B-O-R-A-H-A-L-L-E-N dot com. And hey, check it out. There's all kinds of stuff. There's my new videos. There's, you know, you can sign up uh, at, you know, for free newsletters. You can sign up to all my social stuff. And you know what, Robert? We could talk so much more. And I apologize. I was a little bit hoarse tonight. But someday when we talk again, I want to tell you how funny it was. How I wound up with that 1959 Cadillac. You would love this story. Well, I certainly do, and we'll definitely have to have you back on again. I want to thank you very much for coming on our show this evening. Deborah Allen, singer-songwriter, legend, Hall of Famer. I mean, and the list goes on. Multi-award winning. Just a great person. Deborah, take care. Thank you very much. Have a great uh, Halloween this evening, a great Thanksgiving, and a great Christmas. In the meantime, I want to... Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of Halloween, it's been my treat to talk with you, Robert. You're a great person, too. I feel like we've been friends forever. <laughs> thank you very much. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday. WTAM, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. Listen.